On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And in this edition of About Books, we have an interview with Nigel Bigger. He is an Anglican priest an Oxford professor, and an author. His most recent book is called Colonialism, A Moral Reckoning, and he wrote an article about its odyssey to getting published. The article was in Compact Magazine, and it was entitled Anatomy of a Book Cancellation. Here's Professor Nigel Bigger. So Professor Nigel Bigger, what is your newest book, Colonialism, A Moral Reckoning, about? Uh, it's about um, the the current controversy over colonialism, um, the the um, the view that prevails in my country and probably in yours too is that uh, uh, European colonialism and in particular British colonialism was a litany of racism and exploitation and oppression. Um, I'm an ethicist and. Um, uh, I wanted to to review the history to see whether that story was true, and I've I've concluded in my book that the the prevailing story is just not true. And how did you come to that conclusion? So I, the the book um, um, is divided into eight chapters. Um, uh, uh, so each chapter deals with a different moral issue: motives, uh, racism, slavery, uh, land culture, government, uh, economics and violence. And uh, I focus on, on the British Empire. Uh, it was just one form of colonialism. Um, uh, but I, I felt better to, to go deep rather than to, to be superficial on a broad canvas. Um, and also the British Empire was the largest of the European empires. And in each case, I, I examine the accusations against British colonialism and although um, the empire contained lots of bad things, uh, not least slavery in the 17th and 18th centuries, uh, it also contained lots of good things, such as uh, the, um, the consistent imperial policy of suppressing slavery worldwide from Africa to uh, Malaysia from the early 1800s. So like any uh, long-standing state, the empire contained uh, good things as well as bad. And uh, I considered the accusation uh, currently made that 
regardless of benefits the empire may have conferred, nevertheless it was essentially racist and exploitative and Nazi. I consider that accusation and I conclude that it's just not true. Uh, so the, the empire was not essentially uh, racist and, and nothing in it happened that was akin to what happened under the uh, Nazi regime of the 1930s and 40s. Colonialism, A Moral Reckoning was published in January of 2023. Professor Bigger, what was its path to getting published? <laughs> well, I got into trouble um, uh, publicly in uh, late 2017 uh, because I published an article in the London Times in which I made what I thought was the anodyne point that uh, we British can find cause for both shame and pride in uh, our imperial colonial history. Uh, that then led to uh, three online denunciations of me in the space of a week. Uh, I was in the newspapers, uh, um, this was in early December, I was in the newspapers until the new year in 2018. Uh, I then, um, one of the benefits of, of that particular uh, um, ruckus was that in uh, the Easter of 2018 I got a contract to write a book on colonialism, a, an intelligent person's guide to colonialism from Bloomsbury Publishing. And uh, in late um, 2021, I produced the manuscript. And in, excuse me, late 2020, I produced the manuscript. Uh, early 21, my commissioning editor uh, wrote to me to say that he was speechless with admiration for my rigor and comprehensiveness. Uh, he said it was an important book. He predicted sales of um, up to 20,000 copies. Uh, the book then went into the copy editing process. A book cover was designed. But in March, I got a, a, an email from the top of Bloomsbury announcing that uh, they would uh, uh, postpone publication indefinitely because, to quote them, uh, public feeling is unfavorable. And so Bloomsbury did not publish this book. No, it did not. Um, um, I, I, um, I was told uh, by someone from the inside that uh, Bloomsbury wanted me to walk away from my contract. Uh, but because um, I had no alternative at that time, um, I was devastated at the thought of not getting my book published. So I um, decided not to walk away and I asked Bloomsbury um, innocently um, there's lots of public feeling out there, folks. Uh, uh, which one are you worried about? And uh, when would conditions become favorable to publication again? And a, in a, 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 a two-round set of correspondence, I got no honest reply. And then in, in early April 2021, um, I got a letter from Bloomsbury uh, announcing that uh, since I was clearly impatient to get my book published, uh, there were returning the contract to me. I still wasn't willing to, to bite then, and I paid uh, a lawyer several hundred pounds uh, to, in the hope that he might tell me, or she might tell me, that um, I could hold Bloomsbury to my contract, only to be told several hundred pounds poorer that I couldn't. And then in late April 2021, I wrote to Bloomsbury and told them what I thought of them. No, not, not, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, just just to, to finish the story, Peter. Um, so I, I was I was really devastated. Um, I, I then uh, luckily found another publisher, Harper Collins, 
uh, and their, their their wing, William Collins, that publishes hardback nonfiction, uh, agreed in August 21 to publish me, and uh, happily, there were no uh, there was no turbulence there, and the book was published in the UK. In fact, on second of February of this year. And how's it doing? Fantastically, <laughs> since you ask, uh, it, it it was in the uh, the top ten uh, nonfiction bestseller list of the Sunday Times for two weeks running. Um, it's it's been published now for about eight weeks. It's sold seventeen eighteen thousand copies, uh, hardback only. The U.S. edition is yet to be published in May, uh, so it's doing extremely well. Now. You wrote an article about this experience of being canceled in the Compact magazine, and in there you wrote that Bloomsbury took the path of least resistance in not publishing your book. What does that mean? I I was told by uh, someone inside Bloomsbury who should know that what had happened was that uh, junior uh, members of the publishing company had protested about having to publish uh, my um, um, offensive views. Um, and it, it seems from this, this account that senior management decided to uh, yield to them and cancel me. Now, why did, uh, why did I say the path of least resistance? It's because um, this phenomenon of um, the leadership of institutions, um, whether they be universities or um, Oxford or Cambridge colleges or publishing houses uh, yielding to uh, lobbying by um, activists, uh, young activists within their institutions is is widespread. Uh, I don't understand why adults feel the need to, to, to yield to unreasonable demands from junior colleagues, but it seems that they, they do. Um, in some cases, it's because uh, it seems the least troublesome thing to do, uh, that um, they avoid, therefore, internal conflict. And um, I assume they thought that I would just walk away and find another publisher and we'd all be happy. Um, uh, but of course, at the time, they left me they, they left me with no publisher at all. Now, there was a Cambridge professor who had a role in this cancellation. Her name is Priyamvada Gopal. Who is she and what role did she play? Well, her cancellation goes goes way back. Um, she was then in December 2017, the December, the 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 university reader in post-colonial literature. She has since been promoted to a professor. Um, her role was um, after I published my article in the Times newspaper, and by the way, I'd also just published online uh, a description of a research project I had launched in collaboration with a very eminent historian of empire worldwide, John Darwin. Uh, the, pub, the, the, the research project was called Ethics and Empire. We launched it in July 17. Great success. Uh, and this project is designed to look at empire from the ancient period to the modern and to consider how did ancient Chinese people or how did medieval Muslims view the empire of their day, morally speaking. So we launched that. I published uh, um, an account online of the project shortly after the Times article was published in late November 17. 
And according to um, um, Twitter correspondence, I, I was able to, to read uh, Priyamvada Gopal from Cambridge tweeted to her followers in Oxford, uh, and I quote you, OMG, oh my God, this is serious, SHIT, we must, uh, in block capitals, shut this down. Uh, so she led the campaign uh, that then produced uh, three online denunciations in the space of a week. My uh, historian collaborator abandoned the project. She uh, inaugurated the campaign to have my project cancelled. Um, um, so that, that was a different cancellation, but it, it was the original one. Uh, the, the ironic result, Peter, uh, 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 Eric, uh, um, was that out of that, in fact, I, I got the the original contract with Bloomsbury to publish my book on colonialism. Um, but, but hers was the original re repressive act. Now, your colleague, John Darwin, is no longer a part of the Ethics and Empire project. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Why is that? Well, uh, John uh, gave me... Um, so this... this uh, let me just be clear about the, the timing of this. Um, I got word of the first online denunciation on a Thursday. I was actually going abroad to celebrate my wedding anniversary with my wife to Germany. On the Saturday, um, John wrote to me by email and said, uh, you, you, not, you must make clear that our Ethics and Empire project is not, is not uh, about defending the British Empire. And I was puzzled, and I wrote to John and I said, well, it's not about that. You know it's not about that. I know it's not about that. What I published online uh, says it's not about that. Why would I need to make clear it's not about that? Uh, that was on the Saturday. On the Sunday, he abruptly resigned. Um, and I said, I pleaded with him not to, but he but he persisted. I said, well, why? He said, well, um, I've got domestic concerns that um, need my attention, so I, I need to resign. Um, subsequently, however, um, he was very keen that I should erase any reference to him on the website of my project. And eventually I refused to because I didn't want to erase the history. Um, the fact is that he, he designed the project, um, co-designed the project. Uh, and then I discovered some time later that he'd published uh, an online um, uh, ex explanation for why he'd left the project, hidden in some remote part of the history faculty's website, where he says that he, 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 uh, he, he abandoned the project because um, its nature had the project had changed in some way that he felt the need to resign from it. And I, all I have to say to that is it's not true. <laughs> Nigel Beggar, you refer in your compact article to the censorship of the woke left. What is the woke left in your view? Well, in my immediate case, it's it's um, uh, part of people, well, these, these, these terms, as you know, are crude terms, left and right. But um, some some people on the left, mainly younger, um, um, have very strong views on transgender, for example. Um, but in my case, very strong views that um, contemporary Britain is systemically racist and that this is because of our um, essentially racist colonial history. Um, and that's why... Uh, students were um, protesting against the statue of Cecil Rhodes that um, um, sits 
high up on the um, rear of Oriel College and looks over the high street here in Oxford back in 2015-16. Um, and uh, they're, they're on a crusade to, uh, um, uh, to expunge all racism as they see it from our institutions by decolonizing uh, the curriculum here. Um, and um, what I also observed early on when I encountered them in 2015-16 is that they don't care about the truth about the past. They don't care about the evidence about roads. Uh, they're simply using history to pursue a political project. And you referred to Cecil Rhodes as, quote, a moral mixture, but he was no Hitler. That's right. Um, uh, so let me make clear, Rick, if I wanted to uh, raise a poster boy to the British Empire, it wouldn't be Rhodes. Um, he was an entrepreneur, and like a lot of entrepreneurs, he's very impatient with rules. He bent rules, he broke rules, made a lot of money. Um, uh, as was the case with men of his time, uh, this was 1870. Uh, he was 17 years old, arrived in South Africa. <laughs> At the height of Britain's imperial power, he was he, he shared in British arrogance. He was quite uh, confident in the superiority of British civilization. And he shared in a, in a general uh, tendency to patronize uh, uh, Native Africans. On the, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, um, he did believe that, that Africans uh, could develop. He, he believed that Africans, at one point in the parliament of uh, Cape Colony in 1894, he said, I do not believe that they Africans are different from ourselves. And uh, he clearly believed that Africans could become, as he put it, civilized. He supported the 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 um, uh, the African franchise in Cape Colony. Cape Colony gave Africans the vote on the same terms as whites as early as 1853. And in 1896, uh, when there was a proposal to withdraw the vote from Africans, uh, Rhodes uh, defended the vote for Africans. So Rhodes was a, was a moral mixture, and uh, uh, yes, he was involved in uh, fighting in what's, what became Rhodesia, is now Zambia, in the 1890s, uh, and that involved killing lots of, of Africans. Um, uh, but um, was he genocidal? No. And the fact that uh, um, the people he was involved in, in fighting, the Ndebele, uh, um 2,000 of them stood in the hills when his coffin was being taken to its burial place uh, and uh, um, acclaimed him as our father. And then the Ndebele uh, chieftains agreed to look after his grave, to take care of it for decades. So um, it, it's, a, it's unlikely he, he would have been genocidal if the people he was accused of, of, of massacring uh, um, um, had behaved that way. Now, Nigel Bigger, in your career as a professor, as an author, as an Anglican priest, have you experienced this type of backlash before to your work? No, never. I mean, I, I've um, uh, the older I've got, Eric, uh, I've discovered I'm, I'm more conservative than many of my my peers, and so my views on the ethics of war were not popular among uh, all of my my academic colleagues in in Christian ethics. Um, but this this experience in in 2017 in particular 
the 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 mass denunciations, the desertion of colleagues and friends, um, and and the the, the 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 publicness of it, I I had never experienced, I never expected, and I was initially completely disoriented and and dismayed by it, uh, and in particular, I mean. We, we all have to put up with criticism and as an academic I'm accustomed to that I don't always like it but I have to put up with it and I have to answer it uh, what I what I was bewildered by was the aggression uh, and and in the case of Priya Gopal the, the abuse I mean on Twitter I'm a racist, I'm a bigot I'm a white supremacist and everything that comes out of my mouth is vomit and I quote and this, this is a Cambridge University professor um, she's been one of the worst but there have been others too it's the, the aggression um, and the violence of the... Uh, no, I won't use the word violence. Uh, the, the vituperation of the aggression uh, in public uh, that I found... Um, that I'd never experienced before in my life. But it's not uncommon in certain quarters. What? How long have you been at Oxford and what do you teach? Uh, well, I, I just actually retired at the age of 67 uh, last September, Peter... Uh, Eric. Peter, excuse me. Yes, but uh, but I, I I've been teaching I've been professor of moral theology here since two thousand seven, so that's fifteen years, and I was teaching in Oxford for a ten ten years from roughly nineteen eighty nine to nineteen ninety nine. So I've been here a long time. And how many books have you written? Oh, uh, all told, including co-edited books, probably about ten. Has your faith helped you to move be beyond this situation or past? Resentments oh. and anger. I yes, it has um, in a number of ways. I, I I feel obliged to be honest and to to consider you know whether my critics might be telling the truth, which I need to take on board. I I felt obliged to do that. Um, initially, naively, I felt obliged to respond to anyone who addresses me. Um, uh, I, I felt that that's the honest thing to do, um, and the the yeah the the open thing to do. Uh, but I've discovered actually that's not wise because people who are aggressive and provocative from the beginning, um, it occurs to me, don't really want a conversation; they want a fight, and it's best not to be involved in that fight. And I, I've learnt actually, uh, unless I can, unless we can have a conversation with, that is civil where I'm not going to be tempted to start getting angry with someone else and I'm not going to be tempted to lose my dignity or to to, to mistreat other people. It's best just not to speak at all. Um, so I, I think, um, yes, my, my faith in terms of, my, of, of self const, uh, self-constraint and also in terms of the obligation to be honest to the possibility that I might be mistaken and I, you know, as a Christian, I'm, I'm a creature, I'm a sinner, um, uh, my understanding is limited and sometimes, yes indeed, sometimes my self-interest may distort my understanding. I get all that and therefore I feel obliged to uh, be open to views I don't like. I just wish my, my critics would reciprocate. <laughs> I want to get you to respond to a review in The Guardian of colonialism, a moral reckoning. Oh yes. This is by Keenan Malik. Yes. Biggers' real concern is not with the past but with the present. Denigrating colonialism, he claims, is an important way of corroding faith in the West. 
Yet in seeking to challenge what he regards as cartoonish views of imperial history, Bigger has produced something equally cartoonish, a politicized history that ill serves his aim of defending Western values. After all, to rewrite the past to suit the needs of the present and to defend people's rights only when politically convenient is hardly to present those values in a flattering light. Would you like me to comment on that? Yes, sir. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, yes, uh, I make quite plain that the importance of this is present, not past, and and uh, and it has to do with the polit the political use of history in your own country, in the U.S. Of course, you have the 1690 project, you have the the story, the 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 revisionist story of the origins, of the racist origins of of the United States. In my country, uh, the equivalent is is colonial history. So the the stakes are present, not not past. Um, and so I'm quite I'm quite clear about my political motive here. My political motive is. Uh, that I think the the liberal the liberal West is precious and valuable. The liberal West has done lots of bad things, but um, when all things are considered, I think the liberal West deserves to be defended and promoted against uh, illiberal alternatives, for example, in Russia and China. And so uh, I understand this um, unscrupulous attack on British colonialism. And this involves not not just Britons, but Canadians, Australians, and New Zealanders. This is an attack uh, on on the record of the West. Colonialism is a proxy for the West, and therefore, what's at stake here is um, uh, confidence in the West's record, and therefore faith in the West's future. Because if if it's true that uh, the West's uh, um, colonial history is simply a litany of racism and oppression, then uh, uh, why would we retain faith in the institutions that we have built and that presided over this racism and oppression in the past, if it's true? So that, that's that's my political motive, and I'm quite clear about that. Um, and, of course, political motives can distort one's reading of the past. Uh, and my claim is that that's what happens in the case of many of my uh, of my critics, and indeed I would claim that of Ken and Malik too, now, why why is my politically motivated reading of the past any better than theirs? Well, all I can say is read my book. Uh, I have tried to be as fair as I possibly can. I do not avert my eyes from the terrible things that happened within the British Empire. Two centuries of slavery, uh, vindictive violence, sometimes economic uh, oppression. Um, and I, I'm quite uh, uh, clear and explicit in facing up to that. Uh, but I also present uh, the benefits, the good things that happened as well. Uh, and um, I think I've been as careful uh, and balanced as, as I could be. I, I observe that um, uh, there are uh, pre-publication commendations from uh, 10 or 11 historians published at the beginning of the book, um, not all of them with white skins, and many of them use words like even-handed, balanced, scrupulous, rigorous. So they say that. I'm not saying it. They say that of the book. So all I can say is um, um, uh, take Ken and Malik's accusation that I produced uh, a caricature, a, a, a politically motivated caricature. Take that, read the book, and see whether you think it's true. I'm confident you will conclude it's not. Nigel Bigger, as somebody who's lived this situation for the last six years, what's your advice to a college professor or, or, or a 
somebody who's visiting a college and, and is being shouted down or somebody whose work is being declared as racist, et cetera? Yes, I mean, um, I mean, what I'd like to say is um, hold your ground, don't be unnerved. Um, the chance, well, it depends on the case, of course, but uh, every time I've, I've looked at what these people say, I come away thinking they're wrong. They're wrong. So uh, the chances are the truth is on your side. And also, these truths are important. And it's going to be really bad for all of us if the lies reign. Uh, so what I would like to say is stand your ground, uh, don't run away, uh, find allies, and there are allies there, I'm absolutely sure, um, because it's important that more people stand up and and um, look at these emperors and, 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 and expose their nakedness, because I think they are naked. And I think... One of, re one of the reasons they, they're so aggressive and noisy and shouty is that they're terrified that you actually look at what they're saying. Because if you stop looking, if you stop listening and start looking, um, the, the, the intellectual weakness of what they're saying is becomes very, very clear. However, having said that, I'm aware that uh, in some contexts, um, academics or people in publishing or journalists who um, say what they think uh, and if they say things uh, along the lines of what I think, they do risk losing their jobs. Um, um, and 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 I have counselled I have counselled junior uh, academics in, here in Britain who've come up to me and to say, you know, I I I admire what you're doing, Professor Bigger. Uh, I'd love to be able to uh, voice the same things, but I don't dare because my career would be shot. My advice to them is, nor should you at this point play the long game, um, get get into a, a permanent tenure job, and then uh, you can perhaps begin to speak your mind. Um, so I, I advise some people to be prudent, but I, 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 do, I do think, Peter, uh, more people who can afford to need to speak their mind, because it's quite clear to me, certainly in, in, in Britain uh, and in, in universities, that lots of people uh, do doubt the, the prevailing woke narrative really doubt it and lots of people will say to you to, to, to me that they, they they agree with things I'm saying but they themselves won't say anything in public because they're scared um, uh, but but, but if, if we're not going to get out of this fix more people need to take the risk of speaking their minds Nigel Bigger has been our guest on book TV his most recent book is colonialism a moral reckoning professor bigger we appreciate your time Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk. And thanks for joining us for About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. This podcast and all other C-SPAN produced podcasts are available on our C-SPAN Now app. And a reminder that Book TV will continue to bring you new programs and publishing news every week.